0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee The Historic Church of Robert Murray McShane For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk Second Corinthians chapter 8 uh, We're going to look at the verses, verses 16 through to 9, verse 5 I'll read them as we go along But I want to introduce this um, in this way we, we sang at the end that the earth would be filled with your glory. If you want to know what the world is like without the glory of God, just look at Iraq or the stuff that's going on that's, that's so dark. Um, you read in Hebrews about those who were sown in two because of their faith and then you hear about it happening in the 21st century and it's It's almost unreal. All week we've been bombarded by news of Ebola in Africa, bombing in Gaza and Israel. The hatred against the Jews, which is astonishing how much the Jews are hated. Um, There weren't thousands of people marching and demonstrating in London or Edinburgh yesterday against what's going on in Iraq or in South Sudan. Or in North Korea. But there were against Israel. And when you get people like George Galloway, who's from this city, saying that where he is now, an MP in Bradford, that no Israelis, in other words, no Jews, are welcome there, it's really quite horrendous. There's war in Ukraine, famine in Sudan, four million people in danger of starvation. And of course, Iraq, uh, can I caution you, by the way, to be careful of all the images that come on the internet by Iraq? A lot are fake. And why do you need to see pictures of people being beheaded anyway? You don't need to see it. It's, horrific. it's horrendous. Just even the thought of it is horrendous. But there's one man you can absolutely trust, and that's Canon Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, who um, was being interviewed and, understandably, was very upset this week because uh, he has remained in Baghdad despite many threats to him, and uh, he was talking about a boy who was named after him, a boy called Andrew George, George after St. George's Cathedral in Baghdad, who he baptized five years ago. And I immensely empathize with him because he was talking about this boy who had gone to the Christian town of Koresh to be safe and was this week cut in half. It is absolutely horrendous and then you come near a home and not nearly so serious but it still impacts obviously on us is the independence debate with which at times can be depressing with both sides leaving God out of the equation thus not recognizing the wisdom of the old Italian proverb that he who leaves God out of his reckoning does not know how to count I think of the sadness of the fall of yet another Christian leader in the US The sadness today, actually, of um, our sister church in Brody Ferry, St. James, right now, having their last service in their building. So it's no wonder with all that darkness that we want to escape. For me, there are different ways to escape. I uh, went to Den's Park yesterday, and that was a bit of uh, escape, believe it or not. Because it was great, it was great to see Dundee actually playing football Um, There are lots of football teams who don't play football Dundee did play football and it was quite astonishing uh, That they actually managed to do that And it was just a nice escape Lots of people take that kind of route and make it their reality It's not reality, it's an escape And today, as we look at God's word It's not going to be immediately obvious that this is anything other than an escape. How is this relevant? Because we're going to look at a passage that talks about a church in Turkey and a church in Greece taking a collection and sending it to Jerusalem. How does that fit with this world that we live in? How is that not just a history lesson? Or how is it not just you know, escaping into religion? Well, you'll see as we go on, I hope, um, the answer is that it's talking about the kind of church we need to be in order to impact the the world, in order that the world will be filled with the glory of God. What's wrong with the world and, and the church, actually, it's not the various philosophies and political movements. It's just us. G.K. Chesterton's famed letter to the Times Dear Sir, you asked what's wrong with the world. I am. Yours sincerely. Well, we're going to look at the church, at God's new creation, at God's covenant community, not as a form of escape, but as a means of bringing reality and healing and peace and love into a world which is in great darkness. We're going to look at the kind of church and Christians that God wants us to be because I am absolutely convinced that God is at work in this church here and in other churches as well. In fact, I would go so far to say that there's, and forgive me sticking with the football analogy for a wee bit longer, there's a sense of anticipation. There were seven and a half thousand people at den's yesterday, pretty well double the normal crowd. Why? because people had heard rumors, there was new players, there's a sense of excitement and anticipation. And one of the directors I spoke to yesterday said, I just hope we don't lose today because it will all go. The bubble will be burst. Well, it's going to continue for at least another week. I think there's a sense of anticipation for us in the church here as well. It is like there's a new season in the church. And we need to ensure that... um, The bubble doesn't burst, if you like. We need to uh, grasp and understand that. It's a really exciting time to be part of the church here. If you're a visitor from another church, then uh, uh, you are very, very welcome. And I hope that you'll be encouraged even by what you see here. But within myself, and maybe this is wrong, I have a sense of anticipation about what God is yet to do. I, I don't think we've hardly begun but there's a sense of anticipation, that in a dark world, the world in which we live, the city in which we live, that God is at work and will be at work. So let's turn to that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, I want to read to <clears throat> verse 21, thanks be to God, this is Paul writing, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern, I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Three people are spoken of in this passage. And they're three men, three brothers in Christ, who give us an indication of the kind of people that we want in the church. One of the great things for me about the church is the variety that there is, but there are some things that we, we look for and we see. And first of all, mentioned here is Titus. Titus was a Greek. He was Paul's true son in the faith. Why? Because he'd come to faith through Paul. And notice how he is described he is described as an enthusiast. He is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. He really did care and he was willing to undertake the task that he'd been given, which was to go and visit the Corinthians. If you go across into chapter 12 and verse 8, we read, uh, <clears throat> we read this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from you. It was a messenger of Satan that Paul had had, but he's talking about sending a messenger from God, and that messenger is Titus. He was... A regular companion of those who uh, helped Paul. He was, well, he's a companion of Paul himself as well. He's described as a partner and a fellow worker. Isn't that a lovely description? Somebody who's enthusiastic, somebody who's a partner, somebody who is a fellow worker. It is incredibly great to have. Someone on board like that. Think of the reverse. Think of someone who's I can't be bothered. Oh, here we go again. Oh no, not another. No, you know then someone who's not enthusiastic. Honestly, it is. I'm. I'm. It's like it is like a football fan, you know, watching the game. Uh, I right. I was once. I once went. To, uh, one of the reasons I love Dundee Football Club actually was, I went the first game I went to, and I was deciding between Dundee and Dundee United, and I sat beside a man. An older man in this area called the shed, the derry. And uh, unbelievably, Dundee were winning 4 0 against Hibbs. And this man got up and he said, I'm away home. And I says, What for? Dundee are winning 4 0. He says, Aye, it'll be 4 all And away he went. He actually walked out. Bizarrely, it ended up 4 <laughs> 0. I was just, I, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, This place is weird. I love it. I'm going to come here. Uh, but, You get that sometimes. You see people, uh, yeah, can't be bothered. And, And you get that sometimes with people who, you know what they're doing is they're hedging their bets. If things go well, suddenly they're going to be there, the most fanatical supporters. And the people, oh yeah, I've always known that was right. You get that in the church as well. You get people who just sit back and who are kind of cynical and yeah, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And then if it does work, they go, yeah, it's great. It worked. We did it but they can be the most discouraging of people. Or a partner. There are those sometimes who don't see themselves in partnership. They see themselves in competition. It's my place. It's my, I want this. They don't see it as being partnership. And a fellow worker, work? You're kidding. Why should I work in the church? I'm here to be served, not to serve. And most of us are not, perhaps, that blatant in it. But our actions speak louder than our words. So Titus was a great guy. Second one is the brother who's praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. He was chosen by the churches to accompany the gift. There was probably a vote. The Greek certainly carries the idea of a show of hands. So you can imagine the churches meeting and saying, who are we going to send? Who do we trust? And then people basically voted and they voted for this brother, who we do not know who it is. Some have said it was Barnabas. Others have said it was Luke. But it doesn't matter that he's not named. We don't need to have a name in that sense. What matters is that we are known and recognized by the Lord. Here's someone who's reliable, who's accountable, who's praised for their service to the gospel. Amen, we need people like that. And then the next one is mentioned in the ongoing verses. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so the churches can see it the brother who has proved in many ways he is zealous i find this really interesting because it's countercultural to our culture zeal is really important to paul it's not normally something that we put high on our list of gifts we kind of associate it with someone being very intense or kind of wild-eyed fanatical it's a term of abuse. If you lived in the 18th century or the 19th century in Scotland, the one thing you did not want to be called in the church was an enthusiast. It just has this kind of idea of immaturity. The brother who's proved in many ways that he is zealous. We often associate that kind of zeal with danger. If you go back in chapter 8 to verse 7, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And it's this idea of being an enthusiast, someone who is an enthusiast for Jesus. Romans 12 verse 11 says this, Paul, again, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I suspect that there are those of you here for whom those words remind you of a somewhat distant past. That there was a time that you were full of zeal and love and enthusiasm And what's happened is not a big fall, not a big disaster in some way, but just bit by bit by bit by bit, it's worn away and it's chipped away and cynicism has crept in and bitterness has crept in and coldness has crept in, maybe anger has crept in, and you've just become weary in well-doing. And you see someone who just becomes a Christian, maybe a younger person, and you And you say, yeah, it's great. Wonderful. I remember when I was like that. But they'll learn. And you've got to that stage where you're really just hanging on. There's, you hear, you might even hear this. And your your self-defense mechanism is so good that you've already filtered this. So that you're saying, yeah, yeah, I know this. I know what's going to be said guilt trip, guilt trip, guilt trip, but it's not a guilt trip. It's just asking, where's your zeal? We need people in the church who are zealous, not for themselves, but for the Lord. Not for secondary causes, but for the Lord. I find it quite incredible how often in churches you will get people who are zealous, but they are zealous for for a particular issue. You know, they're Christian Zionists and they're zealous for Israel. Now, we've got to pray for Israel. But it becomes the focus. Or they're zealous for a particular understanding of creation. It becomes the focus. Or they're zealous for a particular type of worship or a particular type of praise. And they judge everything by that. But the spiritual fervor that we are to have is for the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. How do you know what that is? Your spiritual fervor is not the intensity of feeling that you have. It is in serving the Lord. What a great testimony on your deathbed to be able to say, I have served him these many years. There are three tasks That are given as well. These three brothers, Titus, the brother who's praised by all the churches, the brother who's proved that he's zealous. First is, they are to take the offering. If we go back to verse 19, what is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering. This was an offering that was um, taken from the churches in, in Greece and Turkey, taken to the poor in Jerusalem. Offering is a much better word than collection, because genuine giving to God is an offering. It is ministering. It is service. It is service to the Lord's people, as chapter 9 and verse 1 says. And that's what the church of God is. We are a ministering, worshiping, offering people. We are servants of the Lord. When I was talking to the children, I didn't tell them, my job, the description as minister, is not a grand title. It's servant. And those of us who are in church leadership would cause a great deal less harm if we saw ourselves as servants rather than kings or leaders in the sense that our world often looks at it. They are to administer it well. They are to avoid any criticism of how it's administered in the eyes of men as well as the Lord. That was vital in the culture then. It's vital in today's society. There are so many bad examples of that, so many bad examples where people have used religion, used the church, and exploited people to make money. I know of one free church a few years ago where a small free church And the treasurer, who was very strict and very conservative in his theology and dress and church style, embezzled 17,000 pounds. No one suspected because he was so strict. There are plenty leaders who have fallen and stumbled. There's a shared responsibility. That's why there's not one person there. That's why even a very simple thing, when uh, we take the collection and the money's counted at the end, one person doesn't do it. You say, well, don't you trust one another? Uh, yes and no. It's much better to be seen to be accountable for what we do. I love the way that Calvin talks about this. This has always been a problem. It's not a new problem. In writing about this, he says this, the more upright a person is, in that proportion does Satan assail him by every kind of contrivance. If he can by any means shake his credit, for there would arise from this a much greater occasion of stumbling. In other words, what Calvin is saying is an obvious Christian truism. If God's going to use you, Satan's going to attempt you. Satan's going to attack you. Calvin goes on, certainly nothing is more apt to give rise to unfavorable surmises than the management of public money. That's why it would be entirely wrong, though Personally, I might find it quite attractive if you were to pay me, I don't know, Wayne Rooney's salary, because I'm doing something far more important than Wayne Rooney. So go on, just give us a couple of million a year. That's fine. No, it'd be utterly ridiculous and completely and entirely wrong. And you see what's happening here. He's saying this is a church in which there's accountability, there's honesty, there's integrity. We don't play games, we don't cheat, we're not dishonest. So it's a church which ministers, worships, offers, a church which has integrity, and a church which provokes to love and good works. Because as we go on into uh, chapter let's go into chapter nine, there, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as grudgingly given. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying, I told the Macedonians, you guys were great. I told them that you were really enthusiastic. I told them you'd offered to give. And they're doing the same. And I'm bringing them along, and I don't want to turn up and have you go, what money? We never said anything. I don't want you to have to give reluctantly to avoid embarrassment. So I'm just covering my bases here. Because Paul knows what human beings are like. And it's a provocation to love and good works. He didn't want to embarrass them, and he didn't want them to embarrass him. If they turned up and it was hastily done, it would look as though it were grudgingly given. The, the Greek here carries this idea of fraud, niggerliness, greediness. And he speaks of it as a eulogia, a, a, a willing gift, a eulogy. We are to encourage one another, provoke to love and good works. How do we do that? It's a great verse. Let us from Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's a great, you ever done that? You ever thought, how do I provoke other people to love and good deeds? Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a great example one of the reasons for us meeting together is that we encourage one another. We provoke one another to love and to good works. All the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. He gives three motives three tasks to take the offering, to administer it, to provoke to love and good works. Three motives love for the saints. This is a service to the saints it's a diakonos. The offering would demonstrate that. Tangible expressions of love mean much more when people are passing through tough times. You're a Christian in Jerusalem, and you're starving. Your children are starving. And these men who are complete strangers arrive from Greece with a gift to the church, which is large enough to feed you and thousands of others. What do you feel? you feel a love for God's people throughout the world. A church full of love that is demonstrated and shown, not just talked about. And there is a world of difference between charity in the old biblical King James sense, charity as love, and in the modern sense of charity as charity, giving something to people that you don't need or just a little extra. This is love for the saints. It's service to the gospel. It's used to show that the gospel, is, the gospel works. It's interesting how the word gospel is even used here, because we would use gospel to speak of the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, and so on. There's no real evidence that as official titles, gospel was used in that sense until about 150, AD 150, the gospel was always this idea of ministry of word and deed. For example, in Titus 2 verse nine, "Teach slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. You are proclaiming the gospel when you serve in your work tomorrow. You are making the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And then, of course, the ultimate motivation is to honor the Lord. We are seeking to honor the Lord, he said, as we administer this. Our purpose is to honor the Lord. We honor the Lord with the first fruits of our labor. We are uh, uh, an honor to Christ, if I go back, sorry, um, verse 16, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. Why does he give thanks to God? Because it's God who put it into his heart. Matthew says, men will see your good deeds, or Jesus says in Matthew, men will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And what happens is, as God works in our hearts so that we love and care and serve other people, people in turn will thank God, not because we are great people, but because it's God who's put into our hearts this concern and this love. Love for the saints, service to the gospel, to honor the Lord. Now, how, how can I summarize all of this? These three men, Titus and the other two, are messengers with money. It's not disembodied giving. It's not clicking a button and PayPal. It's giving as service to the saints, as an example to others. Giving which should be carefully administered to make sure it reaches its proper destination. Giving which comes as a promise and as a kept promise. Giving which is eager, enthusiastic, and willing, not coerced, not manipulated, not seeking some reward for ourselves. And it's giving which is not just, though it does include monetary giving. We give ourselves to Jesus Christ to serve Jesus Christ. We, I pray, will be like these early Christians, honest, hardworking, reliable, faithful, loving, with a zeal and a heart for Christ. And I think it all comes back to that, doesn't it? Christ enables us to live like that and for him precisely because, because of what he has done. You and I, That's why the gospel is preached to you here again and again and again, even to those of you who are Christians, because what we don't want to do is preach, you now you are a Christian and here's a how-to. Because actually the how-to is not the big issue. The big issue is the why. The big issue is the heart. And we are so inclined to sin that we keep turning away from the gospel and we keep needed to be reminded of who Jesus is. Not what we're supposed to do, which comes as a consequence of that. But we need to be reminded of who Jesus is. And as we love Jesus, we will serve him. We'll desire to meet with his people. We'll desire to pray. We'll desire to to offer ourselves in any way that we can. That's why for those of you who are not yet Christians, this is not, please don't misunderstand this, This is not a sermon about how you need to do good things and give money to the church and help the poor and so on, all of which are excellent things to do, but you're never going to do it in the way and to the uh, extent that you should, unless you have a motivation which comes from out with yourself. And that motivation has to be a love for Jesus Christ. So, the first and most important thing you have to do is get to know Jesus Christ. And for Christians... The application is exactly the same. The first and most important thing you need to do is get to know Jesus Christ. Because for some of you, He also is a distant memory. You remember your faith. You remember your zeal. You remember what it was like before. But if you've been honest, right now, your motivation is not, I want to do this for Jesus. You do it because you have to, you do it because you don't want to look bad. You do it because you've always done it. What do we have to do as believers? We have to come and to repent as well and say, Lord, help me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you... uh, called these men Titus and the two other men, and that Paul recognized the variety and the giftings they had. Thank you that you have always called men and women, boys and girls, to love you and to serve you. Lord, we pray for your people throughout the world. We pray for those particularly in Iraq today who Christians who have been there for 2,000 years, since this time, since the time of this letter, and are now faced with the most awful persecution. And we ask that your hand would be upon them. We pray for your church at Grace Church this morning, as Mark Ellis is inducted as their new minister. May your hand be upon them. We pray for Alberto and the folks in St. James's, as they have their last service in their building this morning. Lord, we pray for us here that you would help us to love you and to serve you with our whole heart and mind and being. From the youngest to the oldest, from those still in the womb to those about to enter the grave, O Lord, our God, we ask that you would grant us all a sight of you that would cause our hearts to be overwhelmed, with love for you so that when we hear your voice who will go who will do out of love we say lord I will we will for we ask it in your name amen thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee if you found this sermon has been helpful to you please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas C-P-C.